Father, we are not just singing those words this morning. We truly believe this. We believe that you are the one and only God. We believe that you have all power. We believe that Jesus Christ, your son, came to this earth and lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death and extended his grace to us that we might live in hope that one day we will be with you and we will see you face to face. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us that we might live this life on this earth until that day. Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning and we are asking that you would speak to us clearly through your word that we would hear nothing else but you this morning, that we would learn from the truth and that it would change our lives. As we go out into this community, I pray that we will be a light in this dark world, that many would know the gospel, that many would come to faith, that your kingdom would be built as you have promised. We know that is your purpose. We know that even the gates of hell will not stop it. So we place ourselves in your hands this morning and we look forward to what you are going to say to us in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. Have you ever met someone who is completely satisfied with their life in every area? Completely satisfied with their physical appearance, completely satisfied with their financial situation, completely satisfied with their job, completely satisfied with their relationships or lack of them. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Completely satisfied in every way? No, neither have I. (laughs) There is built into us, I think, and built into our, our sin nature, a seed of discontentment. It's, it's down in there. Some of us, it's a little deeper than others, but it's there in every one of us. And as a result, we have a tendency to complain. I was reminded of it, and and I knew what I was talking about this morning, and I was reminded of it this morning. Joe and and Tyra and the band were in here, and and I came in, and they were just finishing up practicing, and I said, man, it is hot in here. Complaining. I mean, we've spent half of the last two years outside. I mean, there were times when Tyra was trying to play the keyboard with mittens on because it was so cold, and I'm complaining about the heat. It's in here. It's in me, too. This could be better. Or sometimes we say, I deserve better than what is happening to me right now. It's true of all of us on some level. And if you're having a moment today, if you're having a very self-aware moment, a very honest, authentic moment, you will probably say, okay, yeah, you're right. It's in me too, and I know it's not good, but there are certainly worse things, right? I mean, if we were going to get out our chart and rank the sins of this life, 
from best to worst, best to worst. I mean, complaining is certainly not the worst thing. But I want you to consider this morning that the attitude of discontentment can seriously derail what God is trying to do in your life and in the life of our church. We're going to see Paul address that in this passage that we're going to look at this morning. We're going through the book of Philippians, and if you've been here with us the last six or seven weeks, you know that and have heard some of these messages. One of the things that is interesting to me about the book of Philippians, you you may not even notice it the first time you read through, maybe the first several times you read through, but if you look at it very closely, Philippians is a little different than some of the other letters that Paul wrote. There are no major glaring sin issues that Paul addresses in Philippians. I mean, in 1 Corinthians, I mean, where do we start? I mean, there was a guy that was committing immorality with his stepmother. People in the church were suing each other and taking each other to court. There were divisions and factions in the church. But in Philippians, we don't really have that. There's no glaring false teaching that Paul warns against. There's no immorality that we know about. But what we see is that Paul is is calling them to a deeper submission to Christ. He's calling them and us to a deeper faith, a more careful walk. We might say it this way, Paul is calling us to a higher standard. Why did he do that? Why is Paul calling them to a higher standard? Why why is Paul looking at this church and saying, there's no big issues, but I'm calling for more? Well, he does that because we're citizens of heaven. For those of you that were with us that first week, remember we talked about that. That's the theme of our study through Philippians. We are citizens of heaven. We should look different than other people in this world because we belong to Christ because of what he is doing in us and so in that higher standard Paul says that we need to pray for the church this is what we've talked about we need to advance the gospel we need to live for Christ we need to be willing to suffer we need to have the mind of Christ and last week Tim talked about the fact that we need to work out our own salvation And today we're going to talk about the fact that we need to be a light in dark places. You see, as citizens of heaven, our lives must reflect the light of the gospel. Wherever we go, in our schools, in our jobs, in our homes, wherever we find ourselves, This is a higher standard. What Paul is saying is, it's not enough to merely survive. I mean, is it just me or are there lots of days when we say, hey, I survived and that's just good enough for the day, right? 
If you're having a bad one, everybody has a day once in a while. I'm surviving. And we can have that, we can have that mindset as Christ followers. We can say, hey, look, this world is swirling down the drain. I don't even understand half of the things that are happening. I don't know why they're happening. I just got to survive. But Paul says, that's not enough. It's not enough to just survive. God doesn't call us to get into our bunkers and come out when it's all over. He's calling us to hold out the word of life to the lost. He's calling us to show them the gospel with our lives and tell them the gospel with our words. That's what this passage is about. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2 we're going to look at verses 14 through 18. Philippians 2, 14 through 18. So, everybody ready? Okay, well, whatever. In that spirit, we set forth. Here's verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things, what things? Well, the things that we've been talking about. The things that I just listed for you a minute ago that have been our topics here in this study. Being willing to suffer and advancing the gospel and working out our salvation. Those are difficult things to do. They're not easy. And Paul, if nothing else, is a student of human nature. He knows that we're going to have those days. He had them himself. He knows that even citizens of heaven struggle because we live in a fallen world. And our souls inhabit unredeemed bodies. We still have a sin nature to combat. And so Paul says, do all these things. Live for Christ Advance the gospel. Be willing to suffer. Work out your salvation. But I want you to do them. It's not enough just to do them. Do them without grumbling or disputing. Some of you are a little younger and this is not hard to remember. Some of you <clears throat> don't look so young. So this may be harder for you. But you remember when your mother asked you to do something. A particularly heinous chore that you had no taste for, but you knew you had to do it, and you went and did it, but you did it like this. Right? And when you get done, what did you say? Well, at least I did it. I obeyed. I did what I was supposed to do. Well, Paul knows that even Mature citizens of heaven have that streak of immaturity in them. And he says, do all these things without grumbling or disputing. And that's exactly what the word grumbling means. It literally means murmuring. Murmuring. I love English. I love grammar. If I can think of other ways to alienate 90% of the crowd, they'll come to me later in the message. I love words, and how we understand them is very important. The word grumbling means murmuring, and murmuring is 
Everybody remember from high school English class? Murmuring is called onomatopoeia. <laughs> onomatopoeia means a word that when you speak it, sounds like the sound it describes, like buzz. That's what bees do, right? They buzz. And snakes hiss. That's onomatopoeia. And murmuring is onomatopoeia because that's what it sounds like when you're doing it. You're grumbling under your breath. You may be acting like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but guess what's not engaged? Your heart. Do it without disputing, Paul also says. Disputing is, is self-focused reasoning and logic. And if you have highly intelligent children, this is what they do. The stubborn, strong-willed ones murmur. The highly intelligent ones dispute. <laughs> Why do I have to do that? Why should I have to? What? This is not my responsibility. Are you sure? What? Is there some other way we can? That's disputing. Grumbling is emotional, disputing is intellectual, but both of them reveal the attitude of discontentment, that what we have is not enough, or worse, what God is doing is not what we think he should be doing. That's what's really going on in here. What God is doing is not what I think he should be doing in my life. It's not what I think is right or it's not what I think I deserve. And when we do that, we have fallen into the easiest trap, the trap of the victim mentality. Woe is me. This is what I have to do. This is what I have to walk through. And not only does that affect our own hearts, but it affects the fabric, or it affects the church, because grumbling and disputing tear at the fabric of the body of Christ. They're contagious. Murmuring is contagious. It spreads. Disputing is contagious. As a student of classical literature, I have realized that there are a lot of deep life lessons that we can learn from Winnie the Pooh. If you study the characters of Winnie the Pooh, you will see there's some real philosophical stuff going on there. Pooh is always wrestling with life and why things happen. And he is surrounded by this cast of characters. You have Tigger, who is always upbeat, but perhaps a little light on the intellectual side of things. But he's always happy to be there. You have Piglet, who is a faithful and loyal companion, but is really too timid to do anything that needs to be done. And then you have Eeyore. Eeyore is kind of a gloomy, dark, old, pessimistic thing. 
I don't know Eeyore's origin story. I don't know if his pessimism has anything to do with the fact that somebody put a nail in his rear end to attach his tail or what it is, but he is always bringing poo down. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, well. I guess there's nothing we can do about it. Right? For some of you, Eeyore is your spirit animal. That's just your vibe. What Paul is saying here is beware the poison of pessimism. It's a poison. It will ruin you and all of those that are around you. It will leach out of you into other people, it is a serious detriment to the consistency and the perseverance of us as individual Christ followers and to us as a body. Now we say this all the time, and I hope that you know this, and I hope that it is borne out in what we do here. But the primary reason that we gather every week is to honor and glorify God, to bring glory to his name, to worship him, to thank him for all that he has done for us. But a secondary reason that we do that is so that we can encourage each other to keep going. And besides, why are we grumbling and disputing? Because if we believe what we just sang and we believe what we talk about here every week, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ has saved us from hell. Let me read verse 14 for you again with verse 15. Not that I think you need to hear it again, but I'm going to do it. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why does it matter that we stop complaining? Why does it matter that we stop grumbling and disputing? Paul gives us two reasons why it's essential. Here they are. Number one, it's essential in advancing the process of our growth. That's what Paul says. Do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Blameless carries with it the idea of sin being rooted out. And innocent literally means unmixed. It means that the child of God who is walking with God, who is in the process of advancing in their growth, in their maturity, in their closeness with Christ, doesn't have sin mixed all in to their character. The process of spiritual growth and maturity in your life cannot continue, cannot proceed when you are in murmur mode. It can't. Because one of the basic tenets of maturity in Jesus Christ is that you trust him. 
And if you are continually complaining about your status and your situation, guess what you're not doing? You're not trusting him. You are questioning his wisdom and his power, and often we even question his love for us. So we cannot grow, we cannot advance when we're grumbling and disputing what is happening in our lives. That's the first reason that it's essential that we stop. The second reason, also in that verse 15, it's essential in impacting the lost with the gospel. Look what he says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, the crookedness and the perversity of this world hardly needs any explanation. And that's not our point here today, so we're not going to spend any time on that. It's very obvious to us. It's been that way for a long time. By the way, if you're in the camp that says, wow, I can't believe how horrible the world's gotten in the last two years, you need to read a little history. Because this has been the world since mankind. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, when we're reading about the story of Noah, do you know what it says there in describing the culture of Noah's day thousands of years ago? It says that every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. Okay, is our generation crooked and perverse and twisted? Yes, it is. But so has every generation been. But what I want you to notice this morning is that we are in the midst of it. That's what Paul says. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And understand that we're in the midst of it by God's design. I mean, we all have had our times when we have said, why doesn't God just take us out of here? If we're living the way that God has called us to live, we don't fit here. When you go about your life, when you are living your life and you are making decisions for yourself or for your family, if you have a family, and you are trying to do what is right according to God's word, and you're making those decisions, and you get pushback, or you know that the world is turning up its nose, and how you are choosing to live your life, or educate your children, or love your spouse, or do your job, or use your money, or whatever the case may be, and you have this feeling like, I don't feel like I belong here then you're on the right track. Because we don't fit here. We're not supposed to fit here. But God has placed us here to be lights in a very dark world. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, perhaps even depending on the situation, your family members should be able to look at the way you're living your life and say, there is another way to live. There's another way to do this. 
in John chapter 17 before Christ goes to the cross and he is praying there in the garden before he is arrested. He prays for the disciples and he prays for us. And do you know what he prays? He says, Father, I am not praying that you would take them out of the world. I'm praying that you would protect them from the evil one. It has never been God's design to save us and then yank us out. It's been his design to save us and place us in the midst of this world so that our blamelessness, our innocence, our purity shines a light for others to see the way out. This world is so dark and there are so many people living in families and circles of influence where there is utter darkness that when you come into their life, your life should provide a light so that they can find their way out because of the way you live. Our complaining, our murmuring, our disputing, Our impurity puts a lampshade on the light of the grace of God. That light needs to be as bright as it can possibly be so that people can see it. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 14 and 16, Jesus said it this way, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's look at verse 16 of Philippians 2. Paul continues, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hold fast. That phrase, hold fast, literally means to hold forward or to hold out in front of you. You see, it isn't my faithfulness, it isn't my consistency, it isn't my determination or perseverance that saves people, it's the power of Christ. It's the truth of the gospel that saves people. And so Paul says, when you're doing this, when you're being a light in this dark world, hold out the gospel of Christ in front of you so that people see that and not you. See, we can do that. We can actually use that as an excuse. We can say, well, you know, it's all well and good for you to stand up there and say how we have to be a light and why we should do this and that and our our purity and our blamelessness and our innocence and blah, 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 but you don't know me very well and I'm not very consistent. I know. Believe me, I know. Paul says, look, I'm not asking you to put yourself out front. Put Christ out front. Hold forward the word of life, the gospel, the truth of the Bible, and Christ himself. How did Christ describe himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hold Christ forward. Lead with the gospel and the grace of God that must be evident in our lives, our words, and our actions because he is the one whose power breaks the darkness. Now I want you to notice here in the last part of verse 16, and I don't, I don't know if it's confusing to you at all or if you, when I read it a moment ago you were wondering why it was there. Paul pushes them to do this 
he says, because he wants to be, he wants to be proud of them. And I know we're in church, and so anytime we hear the word pride, we think, that's bad. It's not an arrogant pride that Paul is talking about here. It's as a parent with a child. When you show them how to do something, and they do it, you feel some pride. Hey, that's my kid. Look at him go. That's what Paul is talking about here. Our responsibility as pastors is to teach you, is to train you, it's to push you to grow. And that's what Paul's responsibility was with the Philippians. He said, I don't want our labor to be in vain. The word labor there means, means growing weary from exhausting toil. Living in purity and serving God and others, we want to be proud of you. I want to see your life and I want to say, that's my people. Living for God, serving other people, standing up in this community for what is right. I will tell you very honestly this morning, that it is exhausting to do this. No offense, but teaching you and training you and pushing you to grow, it's exhausting. It's exhausting for you too. I understand that because guess what? I'm trying to live this life in a way to honor God as well. I'm not, I'm not exempt from all of these things. I know it's exhausting. But there is a purpose there's a purpose to it. Your growth in the advancing of the gospel. And Paul is simply saying this, let's make all this effort worthwhile. Verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That phrase, poured out as a drink offering, is one word in the original language, and it's simply a sacrifice that emphasizes total surrender. Paul says, I'm pushing you, and I'm teaching you, and I'm training you, and I'm begging you to live this way, to honor God, to hold forth Christ, to, to shine a light in these dark places. I want you to sacrifice in order to do it, and I'm going to sacrifice my life on top of your sacrifice. What I think we should notice here from this verse is this community of faith, this, this fellowship of sacrificial living. Because guess what? If you didn't already know this, sacrificial living is not fun. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's, that it's fun and easy to be a light in a dark place. It's very difficult. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of, a lot of courage but Paul says there's a fellowship in it. We're both doing it. You do it, and I'm going to do it too. And then he says, I'll be glad and rejoice with you all. You be glad and rejoice with me 
in it, in all of this, in the darkness and the perversity of the world and the suffering and pain of the world. Rejoice in it with me. Now, this is not just the power of positive thinking. This is not Paul saying, hey, if we all jump up and down and sing and laugh real loud, then we won't notice anything else that's happening. That's not what Paul is saying. I shared some of these words with you before in these last few weeks that we've been in Philippians, but I want to just lay it out for you so you see this. The word joy that Paul uses here in the book of Philippians is the word kara. The word rejoice or be glad is the word caro. And the word grace is the word charis. Now if you look at those three words, they're almost identical. So what Paul is saying is we need to rejoice, which means give thanks for God's grace. Rejoicing is not ignoring all the garbage around you. It's thanking God for his grace in the middle of it. And what does Paul say? He doesn't just say, I want you to be glad and rejoice, but I want you to do it with me. Be glad and rejoice with me. Sin, Carol. Rejoice in God's grace together. Mutually give thanks for God's favor to share it. I don't know, somebody has probably already said this before. I certainly am not going to take any credit for it, but this is the phrase I thought of when I was thinking about this. There should be a mutuality of joy. A mutuality of joy. You and I and us. We should rejoice together. We should rejoice together. Not ignore the fact that the world is going to hell in a handbasket because it is. Not ignore that. Not ignore all the garbage you have to wade through at work or your kids have to deal with at school. I'm not telling you to ignore it. I'm saying together we can be thankful because of God's grace in the middle of it. Sunday, when we come to this place, this should be an oasis in the middle of the crap. That's what Paul is saying. Paul knows it's difficult. Paul, remember, Paul is in jail. Paul is going to die because of his living for Christ. He's not dumb. He knows what's happening. He's saying in the middle of it, together, we can rejoice because God has given us grace. And together, no matter what happens, one day we will be rejoicing in the presence of God. I don't know how you are living your life, but friends, I got to tell you, until you adjust your perspective to live that way, it's going to be awfully hard to go out there and do what God is asking you to do. Because you and I have a responsibility to be lights in this dark world. How's the attitude of your heart? Is there grumbling? Is there murmuring? Disputing? 
you know what I've noticed? It's pretty hard to do anything beneficial for the kingdom of God when we're murmuring. It kind of takes up all our energy. Those who murmur the most do the least. And so my challenge for you this morning is to step away from that posture. Step away from that attitude so that you can shine in the darkness and ask yourself, does my life hold out the gospel to people? I remember Paul's calling us to a higher standard. I'm not asking you to ask yourself, am I a Christian? I'm asking you to go beyond that. Is your life holding out the gospel of Christ to others? God is calling us to patient and selfless contentment, to follow the humble example of Christ. Remember two weeks ago, Tim talked about it, who cared nothing for his own comfort, only for the purpose of God. To rejoice in the light of the gospel and reflect it to others. And let the power of Christ strengthen us. Friends, let's close our service this morning by rejoicing together in the power of God, which is the only way that we can do any of this. Let's stand together as we close.